It's no surprise, but I still act surprised. It's no surprise. I've been teaching, I've been studying the Bible and teaching these very ideas for years. And yet I act surprised. It's no surprise, uh, what? It's no surprise that the Christian life that following Jesus includes suffering and difficulty and pain and hardship and trial. It's no surprise, church family. And yet I, and maybe you, Resist, still find ways to resist what God's doing, what God's showing, what he wants to do in me. It's no surprise that life is hard, and yet I question, I wonder what God's up to, I maybe even sulk, or worse. It's no surprise, but I act surprised that life on this side of eternity is hard. The reason I start here is our passage this morning, as we get into God's word, the passage that was just read for you, our passage as Peter wrote it, God wrote it through Peter, our passage reminds us that it's no surprise that God's best for you, that his best for you includes suffering. And and I, I hope it's not as much of a surprise to you as it is to me. Maybe it shouldn't be as much of a surprise to us, because just a couple of chapters back in the same letter, we read, to this you are called, believer in Jesus, to what? To endure unjust suffering. Uh, Paul David Tripp, a pastor, author, writer, puts it this way, if God intended all the days of your life to be easy, they would be. No, in his grace, God intends for all the days, all your days, to be his tools of refinement. I, I, I pray that I would continue to, to grow in my understanding of this. And I pray that you, would too, that we would be able to approach the difficulties of our life instead of resisting and questioning and wondering, instead of being surprised. Wouldn't it be great, church family, if the way you and I approach difficulty in life was to go, oh, God's at work for my good and his glory. These are tools in his hands to refine us, to sanctify us, the Bible calls it. This is the process of taking us as followers of Jesus and and over time transforming us from the inside out, making us into new people, transforming us more and more into the likeness of Christ. Wouldn't it be great if we recognized, as we sang a few minutes ago, that God is for us, not against us? When we endure suffering. So hopefully your Bibles are still open. Uh, since we uh, heard the scripture read to us, hopefully you've got your Bible open on your lap. First Peter chapter 4, our passage this morning is 12 to 19, but I'm going to move around a bit and, 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 and talk about some different verses and let those um, confront us a bit and help us to wrestle with them a bit. So this passage in 1 Peter, this really is one of the themes of this letter. We've talked about suffering in multiple opportunities in this letter in recent weeks. And this passage this morning prepares us, church family, for the no surprise, inevitable reality that following Jesus will include being called to endure unjust suffering. 
right? But there's more in this passage. This passage confronts us with the difficult reality that suffering as a follower of Jesus is inevitable. But you know what else is in this, in this passage as we'll study it? Is, is encouragement and exhortation on how we can respond and, and how we can find hope in the midst of our trials. So first of all, as we look at this passage together, as we study God's word together, as we ask him to be our teacher, because I need him to be our teacher... As we ask him to be our teacher, first we want to ask ourselves, well, what are these trials? What, what kind of suffering are we talking about? What are, maybe what are some examples of, of trials and hardship? Well, if you look at verse 14, 1 Peter 4, 14, we get one example that Peter specifically is talking about when he talks about trials. For, verse 14 says, if you are insulted for, for the name of Christ, you are blessed counterintuitive, not what we expected it to say there, but if you are insulted, if you endure hardship, if you are persecuted for the name of Jesus because you are a follower of Jesus, you are blessed. And then if you look down at verse 15, so certainly one example here of a trial is persecution. Having people come at us, having difficulty in life because we follow Jesus. And then verse 15 says maybe what, what a trial, an example of a trial uh, of something that's not a trial that, God's, that this passage is talking about. Verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. In other words, church family, if you do wrong, if you sin, if you go against God's best, if you're in rebellion against him and not obeying him and going your own way and falling into these kind of sins, don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't call that persecution. That's called consequences of sin. So that's not the trials that we're talking about here. If you endure trial, if you endure uh, pain and suffering because of your own sin, that, that's, not the, that's not the hardship that we're called to endure as we follow Jesus. What else, what else, though, might this passage be talking about when we're saying, okay, what are these trials? What are these difficulties that we could come across? So first of all, certainly this passage and this letter talks a lot about the, the trial of persecution, of, of people coming at us verbally, physical assault, because, and, or experiencing broken life, earthly life, because of our, of our devotion to following Jesus. But I think we, we can also look at the rest of the New Testament, at the rest of the Bible, and see how the word trial is used. And I think it's reasonable for us this morning, as we consider this passage, to go, okay, well, what else, what else do we experience in this earthly life that are trials? that are difficulty. Well, our, our series of through the, book of First Pe- through the book of 1 Peter is called Sojourners because we've been reminded over and over in recent weeks that this is not our true home, that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven. And so this earthly life, then, we are just sojourning. We are just passing through. And so, first of all, the trials that we, we face as followers of Jesus may just be natural results of being an living in exile, living without stability, living without permanence, because we are passing through, because this is not our true home. And so that comes with difficulty. Those things come as trials. I'm sure you relate to having seasons of life where, where we experience weakness, where we, we know our weakness and our shortcomings. These are trials. When we are, feel vulnerable, And under attack, these are trials. 
Uh, we've already talked about persecution. What about, what about the effects of disease on our human bodies? Disease and sickness and ailment. These are trials. Things that many of you are suffering, have suffered from, are suffering from. Chronic illness, disease, painful physical affliction. Those are trials. And then certainly when we ask God to show us, well, what trials are we experiencing and why, we also need to acknowledge the reality of the devil, of the evil one. Later in this very letter, Peter will tell us that Satan prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And church family, we know from the totality of Scripture that, that Satan is already under God's thumb. That, 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 that God has won, that anything that Satan does is under God's thumb. But in this earthly life, there is the reality that Satan prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And until his, his uh, defeat is permanent and forever, then some of the trials we go through as followers of Jesus are because of attacks by the evil one. So do you relate to any of those? Do we experience those kinds of trials? Pain, difficulty, suffering? Let's go back to verse 12 then, the beginning of our passage. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised as if something strange was happening to you. As we go through this passage, as we spend a few more minutes together this morning, there's going to be, I'm going to suggest that the passage gives us two uh, don'ts, things we ought not to do, don't do, as we are called to endure suffering, and we're also going to see two do's. And so that, the first one we just covered, the first don't, is since suffering is inevitable for followers of Jesus, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised as if this is strange, as if this is something unusual, like I described at the very beginning of this, that I shouldn't be surprised, and yet I am, that I shouldn't be surprised, and yet I find myself resistant and grumbling and irritated that my life includes difficulty. The first don't, then, is don't be surprised. I could put a photo of our fam my family on the screen. I'm not going to this morning, but I could put a photo up on the screen or I could post a photo to social media of me and my family. And what might that photo look like? What might that Instagram perfect photo look like? We might be dressed sharply. We might, we might be smiling. The background of the photo might be our beautiful backyard in the peak of spring, right? Just this great picture. And then maybe I should just say, there's the Instagram perfect picture. <laughs> but maybe I should say, don't let that fool you. I love my family. And there's awesome things that are going on in our life. But that Instagram picture doesn't paint the whole picture, does it? 
What about you? You could post a picture to social media of your family, and it could be Instagram perfect, but does it paint the whole picture of what life is like for you? No, it doesn't. And so I say, don't be surprised. The passage says, don't be surprised. We say to each other, don't be surprised, because what we know, I know behind our photo, is some deep waters that God is calling us through right now. Some ongoing difficulties in multiple different areas, not just one thing. And I know as I look around the room that you relate, that our sojourn through our broken earthly life includes past difficulties, and for many of you includes ongoing pains and hardship and suffering right now. I know we relate to this. And so the scripture this morning urges us to not be surprised. And we touched on this topic last Sunday, but I think it fits again here. Suffering as a Christian is not to be a surprise. Suffering as a Christian is to be so common and understood that one of the commentators I studied last week can ask us this question. If we are not suffering, could it be that perhaps we are more like the world and less like Jesus? Last week we said that to choose the will of Jesus is to choose suffering. And so this ought to confront us with this kind of question. If our life, our earthly sojourn, does not occasion, at least occasionally include some discomfort, then, then what's going on? Because to choose the will of Jesus is to choose suffering. If we are not suffering, could it be that perhaps we are more like the world and less like Jesus? Meaning, perhaps we've chosen the world over following Jesus. Perhaps we've been more comfortable and satisfied with the way things are and the way, thi- the way not to rock the boat that we're not experiencing difficulty. But Jesus says to his followers that those that follow me will be persecuted. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. That's the second don't then. Don't be surprised and don't be ashamed. This is a good one to remember, church family. As we follow Jesus and endure suffering that comes with earthly difficult life, earthly circumstances, do not be ashamed. You don't have to be ashamed of what you're enduring if it's in the name of Christ. We talked earlier about, you know, if we sin, then that's not, if there's consequences of our sin, then that's not persecution. And and if we sin and rebel against God and go against his ways, then there probably will be shame for what we've done. And yet, good news, Jesus forgives and redeems and rescues from even that shame. But the point of the passage here is if you're following Jesus and if following Jesus includes suffering and you endure suffering, you don't have to be ashamed of that. And actually, actually, suffering for Jesus doesn't bring shame. It actually, the passage says, is an opportunity to glorify God. It actually glorifies God 
Are you with me on this? It actually glorifies God when you follow Jesus and, and he, you follow him into and through difficult, painful circumstances. And as you endure with his help for his glory, it glorifies God. The passage says it. Let, let us glorify God. I always think I always think about um, uh, it's always stuck in my mind. You'll see because it's kind of catchy, and so it's stuck in my mind. But it really made an impact on me. Is back in my uh, seminary days when I was working on my master's degree. One of my uh, professors had written a book, and this title of the book is catchy and memorable. But it was also not just the title of the book, but he would talk about it in class in appropriate times when we would come to a scripture passage like this. And he would talk about this idea that he wanted to impress upon us because he wanted us as teachers of God's word to impress upon others. The title of his book was Thinking Right When Things Go Wrong. He wanted us to learn from God's word and to put our trust in God so much that we would think right when things in life go wrong. And he wanted to impress that truth of God's word into us so much so that we would pass it along to God's people. And so church family, I'm encouraging you, like he encouraged me, that we need to have a theology of trials. We need to have a theology of suffering. In other words, our understanding, our study of God, our theology, ought to include that he has good purposes in the midst of our painful circumstances. You know why it's so important that I want you to catch that? You know why we need to think right when things go wrong? Because when the circumstances hit you, when the suffering of this earthly sojourn are difficult for you, I want to have, it, I want to have those things push you into God, not away. Right? Do you experience that for yourself, or have you noticed that about people around you, people that you know and love? Have you ever seen difficult circumstances in their life cause them to question and maybe push God away? We need a theology of suffering. We need to read our Bible and see that suffering is normal for the Christian and actually good for the Christian, so that when suffering and difficulty comes into our life, instead of us pushing God away or instead of us leaning away from God because we don't understand, we have an understanding of God from his word that gives us a theology of suffering and causes us to trust him more and to glorify him, to not be ashamed of our suffering, but to glorify him. And it's one thing to... Uh, you know, here we are in 1 Peter, and this is a recurring theme, and we've talked about it in recent weeks, and here we are talking about it again, and it's such a joyful topic. But it's, it's one thing to hear me say that Christian life in, includes suffering. It, it's even one thing to, to believe it, to nod your head along with me, and oh yeah, I've studied my Bible, and uh, following Jesus is following in his footsteps, and Jesus suffered, and so I need to suffer. Hearing it is one thing, believing it is another thing. What about living it out now? What about as life hits you in the face today or this week? What if when suffering comes, what does it look like for us to live it out? 
to lean into God, not away, to trust God in our circumstances. So we've seen a couple of don'ts in the passage. Now as we proceed in the passage, I think we get a couple of encouragements to things to, that we can do as we recognize that we have suffering. So verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Rejoice that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And so naturally, naturally, this is our natural response. Things are awful. We're experiencing suffering. We would have never chosen to go this way. We completely have no idea why this earthly life is such a pain. So I'm just going to rejoice. It comes so natural to our human flesh. No. But church family, we wouldn't be exhorted to rejoice unless it's possible. And it's not possible for you in your own human effort to rejoice in the midst of difficulty. But church family, you can rejoice because God is with you and in you and empowering you to obey him. So when the scripture says rejoice and you want to laugh at it because it seems ridiculous, he wants to do it in you. He wants to, to bring you to a point of, of following him where the, where, the, where the waves are crashing over the boat, but we can rejoice. So yeah, how? How would we rejoice? Why would we rejoice? There's lots of reasons to rejoice. We look back at the beginning of this letter. I'll read it, but if you want to look along, chapter 1, verse 6, even in this letter that we've studied in recent weeks, we have this hopeful reminder of what Jesus is doing through our trials. In 1 Peter 1, 6, in this, because we have a certain future hope because of Jesus, in this we rejoice, although now for a little while, our earthly sojourn, we, we have been grieved by various trials. Why? Why are we experiencing trials? Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes when it is tested by fire, may be found, the genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revealing of Jesus Christ. One reason we can rejoice in the midst of pain is because God doesn't waste our suffering. These, this, the fire, the refiner's fire is not uh, just, it's not a bad thing, right? He's at work for our good. God doesn't waste our suffering. The things that we go through, he has purposes for. He is refining. He is proving the genuineness of your faith. He is at work for our good and his glory. We said it earlier, can we approach life with that perspective instead of approaching life with a, oh, I'm so surprised that I'm suffering. This is weird. I shouldn't be suffering. That's what the beginning of the passage talked about. Instead of approaching life like that, we're invited to approach with hope and approach with rejoicing because we know that God's at work for our good and his glory. Paul David Tripp, another quote from him on the screen. The difficulties you face are not in the way of God's plan. The difficulties you face do not show the failure 
of God's plan. And the difficulties you face are not signs that God has turned his back on you. No, those tough moments are a sure sign of the zeal of his redemptive love. In other words, it's not the things that are bad that happen to you, the suffering that comes your way are not some indication that God has abandoned you or that things have somehow slid off the rails for God. It's actually the opposite. He says there on the screen, those tough moments that we experience are a sign that God is working to redeem you, to transform you, to rescue you, to make all things new to make you more like his son. And so our joy, why can we rejoice? How can we rejoice in in life's difficulties? We can rejoice because that's true, because God's at work for our good. Our joy flows from knowing that God is with us and he's working. Our suffering is not an indicator that God has abandoned us. The The passage tells us the opposite, verse 14. Suffering is not that God has abandoned us. Our suffering is actually an indicator, verse 14, that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Our suffering is an indicator that God is with you. And I would say, he knows what he's doing. Church family, He's with you, even in these painful circumstances, and he knows what he's doing. And so may our lives, may our lives not be about ourselves, our comfort, cruising through life, but instead, no matter our circumstances, may we trust that God is refining, that these are tools in his hands for our redemption. And that leads to the other do. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, that is an incredible phrase, that we suffer according to God's will. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, here's the next do, entrust. Those who suffer are to entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Who is this creator God that we entrust ourselves to? Our creator God, where do we see his faithfulness? We see God's faithfulness in the spectacular good news of the gospel. The gospel is the spectacular news that God on high, the creator of the earth, comes to us and pursues us and rescues us out of our sin and out of our darkness through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's where we see the faithfulness of our great God. And so we are to entrust ourselves to that great God. The gospel is, is, a, is a good news of grace. The gospel isn't, isn't news of what you've got to do, what your efforts are, how hard you've got to strive, how much you've got to be a good person. The gospel good news is a spectacular gift of God's grace. And get this, God's spectacular gift of grace in offering to save you, in offering to rescue you from sin and death, his gift of grace includes the cross. God's rescuing work included the willing suffering of his son. 
the gospel good news would not be good news. First, it's good news because there's bad news. You and I need God. We are rebels against him. And so the good news is good news. And it's good news to us because we didn't take the punishment we deserve, but Jesus took it for us. He lived the life that we cannot live. He died the death that we deserve, and he was raised to life again to show that we too can have life. God's rescue plan included Jesus' willingness to suffer. And we've seen this in this letter, in Peter's letter. Maybe I've gone back to it frequently. I'm going back to it again. Look with me at the end of chapter 2. It'll be on the screen as well. 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 21. We just talked about Jesus' willing suffering on the cross, and now we read this. To this you, follower of Jesus, were called. To what? To endure unjust suffering. Why? Because Christ also suffered for you. Look what it says next. Christ suffered for you, and as he suffered for you, it leaves you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Followers of Jesus do what? Follow Jesus. And Jesus' life included willing suffering. And so as Jesus suffers for us and leaves us an example so that we would follow in his steps, what what does his example look like? Verse 22 and following, when he endured incredible, unjust suffering, being accused of things he had never done and being put to death unjustly. In the face of that unjust suffering, what is Jesus' perfect example? Verse 22 and following, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Every time I read these words, I can't help but think, what would you or I do in that place? Fight back? Try to defend ourselves? Try to cast the blame elsewhere to take the attention off of ourselves? Talk about the other person's fault instead of where I'm at fault? But the example that Jesus left us is that he, in the face of unjust suffering, he committed no sin. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. But what did he do? He continued. There's that second key word for today. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He continued, Jesus continued trusting the only one who judges justly. Instead of being worried about what everybody else around us, opinion of us was and what they understood or didn't understand or what I had done wrong or what I had not done wrong, Jesus entrusted himself knowing that it's God's, God is the just judge. And it's, it's, it's his opinion that matters. And so back to the last verse of our passage for this morning, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So look at that. We suffer in accordance with God's will. If 
follower of Jesus, church family, you suffer in accordance with the will of God. When we face difficult circumstances, it's important to remember that the world hasn't spun out of God's hands. Things haven't somehow gotten away from him. Oops, that's going to be hard on my people. No, everything that happens in, in this world, God is sovereign over all. Everything that happens in this world has passed across God's desk, we sometimes say. That, that everything that happens is, has passed across God's desk, meaning everything that happens is either ordained by God or allowed by God. And if we believe that the sovereign God, creator of the universe, good, loving, heavenly Father, is that sovereign and that everything has passed across his desk, then we can trust him even with the circumstances and difficulties that come our way because we suffer in accordance with his w- will. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Church family, do you know God to be faithful? Church, do you know that God loves you? Don't let that be a trite phrase. Do you know the depths of God's love for you, the extent to which he goes to rescue us, the extent to which he continues to work in us, to transform us. If you don't know, he loves you. And the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to save ourselves, is that, we, that it's not our striving or our effort, but about coming to the end of ourselves and calling out to our creator God who is faithful and trusting our souls to him. Salvation is found not in what we do. Our salvation is found in what Christ has already done. And so we entrust ourselves to the Son of God We entrust ourselves to his saving work. It's no surprise. It's no surprise. It's no surprise that suffering is part of our earthly journey. And it's also no surprise, church family, that I can't do the do's and I can't stop myself from don'ting the don'ts. You know what I'm trying to say. It's no surprise that we endure suffering as a part of following Jesus, but it's also no surprise that you can't do the do's and you can't do the don'ts on your own. You know what? You need God's power and presence in you to help you live for him. But he is. He is and he does. He's with you. He's empowering you. And so the passage doesn't say strive or make effort or try to do good enough. The passage says entrust. Church family, Put your trust in Jesus. Lean on him. Rely on him. Go to him. Cling to him. Learn to live for him. Obey him. Glorify him in all that you do because God is at work. 
God is with you. And because he is with you and because the Holy Spirit of God lives within you, he is empowering you and enabling you to do the do's and don't do the don'ts. He's empowering you and enabling you to not be surprised, to not be ashamed, to rejoice and to entrust. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning's opportunity to be together with church family. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that you have given us the gift of the Bible to study and to hear from you. Father in heaven, thank you that you are not a God who is distant and stays away from us, but a God who has come near to us in sending Jesus into the world. And that you are a God, we thank you, God, that you are a God who comes near to us by sending your spirit to live in us, believers. So God, may we believe that you are with us this morning. May we know your presence and your power is with us. And because of that, God, may we have hope in Christ because we've reckoned this morning with difficult things. We've been reminded how we're not to be surprised about pain and trial and suffering. And yet, God, as we recognize that you are with us, may that give us hope. May that give us the ability to rejoice because of your work in us. And Father God, I pray that, uh, that your words in 2 Corinthians 4 would be our experience. And so I pray that the words of this scripture would be true for me. And I pray that the words of this scripture would be true for those with me here this morning. Father in heaven, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Father, we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Father, we are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Father, I pray that we do not lose heart. I pray that though our outer self is wasting away, we thank you that our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction that is our earthly sojourn, this earthly life that seems like it's all there is to us, that seems so long to us, God, may we know the truth of your word here that, that this light and momentary affliction that we are facing is, 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 is momentary. We are citizens of heaven who are passing through on our way to you. And you are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So again, praying the words of this passage, Lord, help us to not look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Remind us, God, that the things we see are transient, temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We rejoice because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And we entrust ourselves to our faithful creator. Amen.